Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 341st episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're in our eighth year broadcasting across the world. Today we're on the shores of Sydney Harbour. I'm sitting here looking out the studio window and I've got yachts and the beautiful harbour and quite a nice day. I think it's a bit chilly, but um, the Sydney Opera House and Sydney Harbour Bridge, it's really a beautiful, a beautiful sight. I'm here for six days doing some consulting uh, and uh, have some, some discussions here also on the ICO that we're undertaking in Africa. Last week, I spent a few days at the fabulous Crypto Invest Summit in Los Angeles. And one of the reasons, one of the sessions that I went to featured our guest today, Rick Burnett, who was on a great panel regarding crypto payments, e-commerce and accounting. Now, he's got a, a new company that... Uh, aims to change logistics and how revolutionized logistics really using the blockchain. It's very interesting and I've been in these discussions maybe five years ago before the blockchain and uh, it is a totally different ball game now. Now, one area in which there are phenomenal changes and phenomenal advancements at the moment is in health particularly in home diagnostics. You've probably all heard of 23andMe where you send your saliva off and they will analyse the DNA and give you a complete accounting of your ancestry and they can also use your DNA to advise you of your potential for getting a number of diseases. So it's one of the fastest growing companies in America. And this year they're putting on another 250 people. Everybody seems to be getting their DNA checked now. Um, it's very handy. I mean, it's, it's good to know in advance, you know, the things that could happen to you or the things that you're susceptible to. And it's also good to um, know what your real ancestry is. A few years ago I went to... Ireland and I actually found a little town where Pritchard apparently originated back hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, but um, we've submitted our DNA to 23andMe and we'll see what happens when we come back. I might get a big surprise, find them something totally altogether different. Uh, so 23andMe, as I said, they're employing another 250 people this year. And since they announced it, they've already received 30,000 resumes. So your chances of getting hired unless you've got a really good resume are not very good. Well, now there's another consumer genetics company called Color Genomics. And it's rolling out services to test for genes linked to cancer and high cholesterol. Again, it's a home um, involvement program, you send in your saliva and they come back and they tell you 
possibilities of getting various forms of cancer and high cholesterol. Now, the announcement comes roughly a month after 23andMe released breast cancer genetics results to consumers and colour and 23andMe are taking different approaches. However, while 23andMe provides results directly to the consumer, you send in your saliva, they send the results straight back to you. Colour is partnering with universities who will make the tests available to patients alongside a counsellor. And I guess the reason for that is that if they find that you've got a propensity for breast cancer, for example, and they send you a, um, a report back saying, hey, you've got a propensity for breast cancer, you're going to worry the hell out of the people that get it. So I think that um, Colour's idea of giving you the results in conjunction with a medical practitioner or a, a counsellor is probably a pretty good one. They'll be able to explain that this doesn't mean you're going to get it, but just means you have a propensity. Now, in an effort to give people information about everything from their ancestry to their genetic risk of developing diseases like Alzheimer and cancer, consumer genetics testing companies like 23andMe and Colour have been rapidly expanding their services. This is quite amazing, isn't it? You think that um, all you have to do is stay at home, spit in a tube, and um, eight weeks later they come back and they tell you, your ancestry, all of the elements of your ancestry, and uh, also your propensity to certain diseases. I mean, it's pretty, really pretty fantastic. Saves going to the doctor and saves a lot of money. But Colour's approach differs from 23andMe in that they are partnering with the universities and you can only get the information with the guidance of a physician or a genetics counsellor. And I think that's pretty important. Denise, genetics are highly complex. Having a genetic variant or a mutation on a chunk of DNA that amplifies your risk of diseases like cancer doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get it. Similarly, not having the variant doesn't necessarily mean you won't get it. So this is not an absolute science, but it does give you an indication it can be powerful medicine in that you can, if you catch the disease early or prevent it in the first place, that can enable you to make changes in your lifestyle and curb deaths and medical costs. So the um, New Colour Initiative will look at two conditions where genetics play a key role, cancer, breast, ovarian, colorectal and prostate and also high cholesterol, also known as familial hypocholesterolemia. <laughs> familial hypercholesterolemia, or FH, as they call it very wisely. Now, several genes are involved in the development of both conditions, and while other factors like diet and exercise can play a key role in that too. Colour's focusing on these two conditions for a couple of reasons. One is that the genes these conditions involve have been found to be closely linked with the risk of disease. 
Another is that well-defined preventative measures like dietary change can be effective for both conditions, meaning that people who learn they are at higher risk for FH can take steps now to decrease their chances of developing it. So all in all, a great move forward. Self-diagnosis, well, kind of self-diagnosis, I think it's a lot easier to spit in a tube than it is to go off to the doctor and pay exorbitant doctor's fees. And, you know, while at the moment it's only um, cancer and only cancer, but it's, it's cancer and a couple of other things, there is a wide range of tests that are coming out that can be done at home um, in the next couple of years. So um, this will really reduce the strain on the um, medical system. Do you get my 30-second read daily newsletter? It's um, straight business. We go out to about 1.7 million subscribers each day. It takes just 30 seconds a day to read, and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about medicine and new apps, new technologies, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, and blockchain. It's absolutely free. We will not under any circumstances give your details out to anyone and the information's invaluable. Now, if you don't get the newsletter, you're crazy. But if you don't, just go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enroll. We get quite a number of new subscribers every day and we only lose probably one a week at the most which out of 1.7 million is pretty good. Now, this next story is more suited to Bond or Jason Bourne than to Coca-Cola, but it's true. In 2006 at the Atlanta airport, Ibrahim Dimson handed off a duffel bag containing dozens of stolen Coca-Cola documents and a vial of a secret formula for Coke, all marked highly confidential. And he handed this off to Jerry, a man who claimed to be a Pepsi executive. In exchange, Dimson walked off with a yellow Girl Scout cookie box stuffed with, stuffed with $30,000 in $50 and $100 bills. But Jerry wasn't who he claimed to be. And little did Ibrahim know, but the shit was about to hit the fan. At Coca-Cola, workers are subjected to security checks. Surveillance cameras dot every corner of the building. It's really quite a fortress. And the original Coke formula is locked in a multi-million dollar vault with only two people on earth who know it and they fly on separate planes when they travel. They take it quite seriously. Now, in this hyper-secretive culture, Joya Williams was the model employee as the 50K a year administrative assistant to the global head of marketing. She was entrusted with sensitive emails, with internal documents, yet to be released products, but she felt she wasn't being treated right. In late 2005, Williams told a friend, Edmund Duhaney, who'd just gotten out of prison on cocaine charges, that she possessed a treasure trove of wholly classif highly classified Coca-Cola documents that would be worth a lot of money to Pepsi. She needed a middleman, and Dehaney knew just the guy, his buddy Dimson, a young white-collar embezzler he'd met in prison. So under the alias Dirk Dimson, 
sent a letter in an official Coca-Cola envelope addressed to a senior VP at Pepsi claiming he was a high-level Coca-Cola executive with extremely confidential trade secrets. Now, two weeks later, Dimson received a call from a supposed PepsiCo employee named Jerry. He asked Dimson for proof he could deliver, and Dimson faxed Jerry 14 pages of Coca-Cola documents, almost all marked confidential information or classified highly restricted, and told Jerry that he needed to wire money to a provided bank account to show he was a serious partner. So he received a bank transfer, and then the real heist began. Joya Williams procured not only troves of documents, but actual samples of unreleased products. Once procured, these artefacts were passed on to Dimpson, who promptly convinced Jerry to purchase them for $75,000. After Dimpson left the airport, they divvied up the money. But the reality came 10 days later when Jerry rang Dimpson and offered him $1.5 million for remaining trade secrets. The trio had struck gold, or so it seemed. But Jerry wasn't a Pepsi executive. He was an FBI special agent. Months earlier, when Pepsi received the trio's initial letter, they promptly forwarded to Coke and called the FBI. On July the 5th, Williams, Dempson and Doheny were arrested on charges of wire fraud and unlawfully stealing and selling trade secrets, and they were handed eight two- and five-year prison sentences, respectively. So 12 years ago, the company didn't think twice about turning down trade secrets, and today's firms might learn something from that. In recent times, Uber allegedly pilfered Waymo, Samsung stole from fellow chipmaker TSMC, Facebook took intellectual property from a VR company. So there's a lesson. As I mentioned earlier, my guest today is Rick Burnett. He's the founder of Lane Axis and is the CEO. Rick is a veteran freight logistics executive and seasoned software developer, and he's now focused on driving the evolution of transport logistics via the blockchain. Rick started filing patents focused on shipper carrier direct software model in 2015 and that game-changing patent was approved just six weeks ago. And I'll be back with Rick after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, being broadcast right across the world this week from the shores of Sydney Harbour, home of the fabulous Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Sydney Opera House. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. 
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last nearly eight years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've found out what they do, how they've got to where they've got, and we try to find out what the hell makes them tick. You know, it's very difficult to be successful in business today, and it doesn't matter what business you're in, whether you're doing ICOs or whether you're a startup, 90% of you are going to fail. So the ones that succeed, we want to know why and how, so that we don't have to make the same mistakes that others do. So in this interview segment, it's our intention to keep you up to date with all the current business news, as well as new developments in health and technology and apps, as well as introducing you to go-getters and bloody interesting people. As you know, for the past five years or so, I've been enthusiastically promoting blockchain and crypto, and we have witnessed the rapid implementation of the blockchain in some of the world's most successful companies and institutions. One of the things that I'm frequently asked is whether crypto has peaked, whether people have left investing in crypto too late. Well, let me assure you, crypto is only just beginning. Seems to me that we're about 1% into its development. And if you have not yet invested in crypto, you should do so as soon as possible. Last week, the Crypto Invest Summit was held in Los Angeles with over 150 speakers and 4,500 attendees made up of developers and platforms and VCs and investors and crypto holders. It was an incredible event. And our guest today, Rick Burnett, was on a great panel regarding crypto payments, e-commerce and accounting. And his firm, Lane Axis, also presented separately in the Pitch Forum. Now, Rick is the founder of Lane Axis, that's L-A-N-E-A-X-I-S, and he's also the CEO. Now, he's a veteran freight logistics executive and seasoned software developer. And if ever there was a um, an area that needs disrupting and and a whole new set of guidelines. It's got to be the logistics business. I mean, when you think of how many parcels and packages are picked up every day, not only by the big freight companies, but by, you know, the UPSs and everybody else, there are millions and millions and probably hundreds of millions of packages moved every day. And, you know, some people are very sophisticated at it and some aren't. So, Rick's now focused on driving the evolution of transportation logistics via the blockchain. Makes perfect sense. It's the perfect vehicle for it. And Rick's held numerous executive positions within the transportation and software industries, focused on finding transportation solutions. After nearly a decade of development, Rick started filing patents focused on a shipper carrier direct software model in 2015 and soon after founded Lane Axis Inc. Now, Lane Axis Virtual Freight Management, it's an SAS platform that provides real-time visibility, analytics and direct connectivity for shippers and carriers, 
cutting out all those expensive intermediaries. Rick, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard (laughs) right around the world. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Can you tell us about, you know, we've we've got the sort of overview of your, you know, your your CV version of your background, but... um, how, do, how did you get into the logistics business, the shipping business, and what led you to um, create the, the uh, Lane Access program? Yeah, so um, probably should go back to how you started the, the conversation, which is, you know, you feel like crypto is at the percent mark of the opportunity of the growth out of this. And it's really about, about the same as, as the internet in general. If you, if you think back 20 years ago, a lot of people didn't think that the internet was here to stay. You know, sure. people wouldn't order stuff online. They didn't think that 20 years from now they wouldn't have a house phone. Yeah. Various different things in that technology movement. How I got it was right after 9 uh, you know, nothing really moved in this country. And a lot of trucking companies got into financial trouble and I had a friend of mine that had a trucking company. I got involved at that point in time to kind of help move that company in a different direction. So as we move forward in about, you know, real quickly, 12 venture, we belong to the various different load boards that were out there. Internet truck stop, DAT, get loaded. Those are all load posting boards. Loads meaning that freight needs to be moved and they're posted by brokers. Very inefficient process because a lot of those loads didn't even exist. They were kind of a bait and switch type of thing. Yeah. Brokers were supposed to load, wanted the carrier to call them. They would be rate driven type of things. They would try to get it, you know, for as cheap as they can. Um, And then effectively, you know, as a trucking company, you're sitting there not moving your truck, costing yourself money, or you would have to end up, you know, going empty. So I actually built a bidding engine. 15 years ago that was focused on internet connectivity into large shippers and, and moving their freight in, inside their internal network. Right. So it was my first experience of how big the market really was and how inefficient and, and, you know, antiquated at the time as far as, because a lot of trucking companies didn't have an email, yeah. you know, this was Oh four and Oh five. Yeah. So, I knew that I would eventually come back into this type of process. And when smartphones came out, you know, more on the mass scale of ours, 2010, 2011, and the movement was kind of, you know, headed that way. I'm like, okay, this is the time to get back into the transportation. Cause what a lot of people don't realize in the United States is how fragmented it actually is. And you highlighted that, you know, like when you order a parcel or a package, you get an email, you get a tracking link, and, and you know roughly when that package is going to be delivered to your home. And everybody thinks, okay, well, Walmart has tracking on all their trucks, and so does J.B. Hunt, and so that's true. But the market is 700,000 trucking companies. 97% of that industry is smaller independent, with 82% of that number being six trucks or less. Right. So you have roughly around 3 million drivers that the only way to connect into that is a phone call. And if the driver doesn't answer that phone, you have no idea where that, and that's, that issue is the problem, same problem that Walmart has or UPS has or any other shipper manufacturer because they don't have the, the capacity to handle the daily volume of freight that moves. 
Yeah. So they depend on the 97% of the industry. And so what I started in 2014 was filing, you know, patentable processes wrapped around what is eventually going to be the model for transportation, which is taking out the hundred to $150 billion of brokerage or intermediary costs and allowing the network to, to come directly together. Right. That patent was issued in March the 27th of this year. The legal description is a shipper carrier interaction optimization platform. What it means is, is that we have, we own the rights to that direct connectivity, pushing the load down to the handset or in cab terminal, tracking it in real time, geocoding the location for the pickup and the delivery. And so why we were at the, at the uh, summit last week is that we're taking the opportunity to give back to the community. We're going to build a driver social community that allows really that network of three and a half, four million drivers to have their own place to interact. And, and the byproduct of building that community is now we have a location base. And so as the network grows, we're going to push our technology into the blockchain so that the shipper contract stored in the blockchain, yep. the insurance verification of the carrier is stored in the blockchain. We API real time feeds into the, the, Department of Transportation database and the database of the commercial driver license so that that relationship between the shipper and the carrier can immediately be, be consummated. Right. Now, once that happens, then whenever a, a shipper assigns a load to a carrier and they assign it to me, the driver, you now have as a shipper real-time visibility of that load level. You'll know six hours prior to the load pickup if he's going to be on time or not the geofence location of the pickup and the, and the delivery uh, location are stored in the blockchain. Those are important because now that load confirmation is stored in the blockchain, the proof of delivery stored in the blockchain, and then that chain of custody stored in the blockchain. So you have a historical archival record. So the complete movement of the transportation, you know, uh, load level is now stored in the blockchain. It's immutable. It's a trusted source. Sure. That's what makes the blockchain so significant for the transportation. So as we move this forward, we're going to start driving down the 1 million trucks that move up and down the roads empty every day and allow better road, road uh, conditions because it'll, it'll lessen the wear and tear on the roads. Right. Less traffic because the flow's better, because there's visibility in the network emissions. So there's multiple different values to drive an efficiency into this network because a lot of people don't realize 90% of all movements move on a truck. Yep. So are we referring to every package? It doesn't matter whether it's a big package or a little package and I send it to from my home to Fred or whether it's sent from a Walmart. Yeah, so, so it doesn't matter. Because you know, as, as any business, you know, like cell phones, it started out as a bag phone and 29 cents a minute. And now today it's relatively cheap to make a phone call on a cellular, Yeah, you know, the network had to be built. So the same thing here. So what we're focused on is the truckload side of the market, the, the 2 million shipments a day, as we, and the carrier driver, social community, as we build visibility into the network, the byproduct of that will be 
is visibility into capacity of trucks. So then getting to your point, Bob, is yes, we will move into the parcels and the empty space because now, let's say, for an example, a truck's hauling a load down to Atlanta and he's three quarters of the way full and there's a guy in Harrisburg that has a parcel going to Atlanta. He can stop, pull in, pick that up, add that parcel, add additional revenue and lessen a truck that needed to get on the road, add revenue to himself and lessen the cost of the guy that needed to move the parcel. Okay. So getting on to the network for drivers, um, two things. Firstly, I was reading this morning about um, uh, Hyperloop moving uh, parcels, moving freight at a thousand kilometres an hour um, very shortly uh, within the next couple of years. So that's that's one. That won't make any difference to you. It's just it doesn't matter whether it's carried by Hyperloop or carried by plane or carried by truck, does it? Or is this strictly for trucks? No, because eventually what will happen is, like for an example, I was at, in Shanghai and actually spoke with the Chinese government over there about our solution. And, you know, for an example, the same way in, in, in China, you know, you, we, you could push the load manifest to the carrier, okay? We, we then track it in real time from the pickup to, let's say it's delivered to the ship. We geocode the location of the, the port. So now you have that that load was, was loaded on the ship it comes into Long Beach, you have the geocode of the Long Beach, you know it's verified on that ship because it's broke that geofence whenever the carrier picks that load up and it's entered, sure. and then it's delivered to Chicago, so you would have chain of custody of that manifest all the way back to Beijing. Is that, when you talk about manifest, are you talking about the um, shipment as a whole, or are you talking about each individual package? No, I'm talking about, so in a manifest, you break it out. It's called a bill of lading. So let's yeah. say that there's 18 pallets on this particular load manifest. So right. each one of those pallets, even if they're barcode scanned, you could capture those 18 barcode scanned and you would know in that, in that manifest or that bill of lading what encompasses in that movement. And that is those 80. So it's the documentation that really lives today in paper in electronic form. Right. And everything's in one source. You'd have your insurance information and all of that all in the one uh, all in right. the blockchain. So right. So, so, so every load number has a unique number. So every load is stored in the blockchain. So now you have the shipper contracts in the blockchain, the insurance verification of the carriers in the blockchain, right. the commercial driver's license verification of that driver. Because these dynamically change. You know, insurance doesn't, you know, it, it has issue dates, renewal dates. And so in the system itself, if that carrier had a renewal date of, let's say, June the 1st, the system would start sending him reminders to upload its new insurance into the blockchain to be verified before June 1st comes, because if it's not, he'll be restricted until that is completed. Right. Did- so it gives a trusted source to both parties that not only is – the load itself and the relationship established, but then in the transit of the actual load, it gives, and you know, here's the other thing too, Bob, a lot of people don't realize because it is fragmented, there's no true analytics within the system. There's no, there's no true. So you will be able to give you of the 700,000 trucking companies in the U S 
this company's on-time performance is 98%, and this company's is 62 Right. Because you'll get through the geofence stored in the blockchain actual verifications of those locations. And, you know, these are great benefits not only to shippers but to carriers, too, because a lot of times the broker pushes the late fee over to the carrier, and he goes, hey, I was there on time, but he can't, he can't, he can't verify that. Right. So when you talk about network for drivers, I guess you're not, you're not that confident that self-driving trucks are going to come into being anytime soon. Uh, I mean, when we're in paper and, and phoning and faxing, I don't see we're moving to driverless trucks until we get the network visible and, and figured out first. Right. But I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. I think that that, I think that will have a place in the future, potentially. Uh, but, you know, you have to build a network first. You've got to have visibility into all this. You know, in, in December the 18th of this past year, uh, electronic onboard recorder to driver logs have become a federal mandate. Yep. So it's no longer the hurdle that, you know, I faced in the past, even two or three years ago, Driver saying, hey, I don't want to be tracked. I don't want to be, you know, those kind of, of, you know, real, real issues when you're trying to deploy software into a network. But today, you know, that that hurdle has been laid down because every load and every driver has to be tracked because they can only drive 11 hours in a 24 hour period. And there's some other additionals within that rules, but high level, that's what it is. So now the network really comes into play because, you know, these guys have a lot of downtime. Sure. And they're good people just like us. You know, he's got a son that he wants to make it home to his game on Friday. You know, his yeah. daughter has a dance recital. So, so bringing visibility and true connectivity into the shipper and the carrier is going to benefit these individual drivers too because the guy's not going to be sitting there waiting at a truck stop to find a load. He'll be able to immediately get a load and get on the road and get home to his son's football game. Right. So how – how will the authorities fit into this? Will the authorities have access to all this information so that they can know who's playing by the rules and who isn't or what's being shipped? Sorry, before we get on to that, when you um, put the package on the blockchain, do you know what's in the package? Well, the, 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 the load manifest creates the information directly from the shipper and that information that would be on the pickup would be in that manifest. That's actually what customs wants. Homeland security wants the original paperwork of the original shipper of who's shipping what and the details of that. Yeah. That's what they want because think about it. When you pass it to another third party, i.e. a broker, you lose that, that directness. Yeah. It's now in somebody else's hands with the potential manipulation or change of that manifest. Whereas this comes right off an ordering system of the shipper manufacturer. It is what it is. And that's then stored in the blockchain. Okay. So is there, um, so are, are authorities likely to have access to the blockchain? Well, I mean, I mean if, if they see value in it, I could definitely see, value to a lot of different ones. Yes. If they wanted to have verification of low dip, Hey, it's, it's, it's visible into the network. They have benefit for it. No problem. Uh, 
If they want traffic flow information, because in our driver social community, we're going to have the network connectivity on that. That's going to be great benefit to them. So through the visibility entirely into it's think about this, you know, aviation has one system. You have visibility into all planes. Yep. Southwest American, blah, blah, blah. If, and if we implemented a visibility system into transportation, us as individual consumers and everybody else are going to be even higher protected, if you will, because there's visibility into all this flow information. Yeah. No, I agree. one point access. Yeah, I agree. And up until now, up until the blockchain, there's been no way to record all this information and have it totally transparent and, um, and flowing in real time, has there? Well, the blockchain, what, what the blockchain really, in my opinion, for whatever that means, but in, in my humble opinion, transportation, blockchain was necessary in order for the community to be built in the, in the shipper carrier direct environment because dynamically, you know, weather happens, yeah. you know, accidents happen, you know, transportation has issues when you have a blockchain, it's a trusted source. Now you can immediately find a new driver on the fly and connect to him because you know everybody in this network is playing by the same rules. So you're protected under contract. He has insurance. His DOT is, is valid. And then when you push a load to him, it's managed. He has visibility clicking into the system and seeing where his load at, seeing that his driver is on time or not. So until this point, you know, what I didn't know 15 years ago and what I know now is blockchain made this ability to build this network now that I didn't understand this until I know how blockchain works. Sure, sure. So people patent their product to, um, or their software to keep others from stealing their idea. Tell us about your patent and why it's so important to your business. Can it, can people get around that patent? I mean, is it possible for somebody else to do what you're doing? Well, um, so, you know, the United States government takes, you know, pretty good efforts and, and, and pride into protecting when somebody does something. And it's a costly venture. Yeah, you know, sure, I agree. this is a four years process to getting this. So, you know, I know what our patent says, which is, and you know, we we click it on our link. You can read it yourself, or a person can. Um, you know, and it's right from uh, you know the patent office of the description. It's very deep and wide, and it's in. It's because in the foresight of what we filed was the vision of where we saw transportation going, and we started building a system around that. Right. So. I can tell you that from, you know, I'm not an attorney, but from my limited understanding of the law, if somebody is a shipper, you know, whether that's a manufacturer or a shipper or a person who moves product or a broker three pill that takes on the assumption of being the shipper becomes a shipper. If they sign that load to a carrier and it's tracked in their truck or you know, any part of the handset mobile device based on the description of the patent, then they're in violation of our patent. Right. Okay. So, you know, we just got it about uh, a Six month ago, yeah. five weeks ago. Yeah. 
So, you know, we have a legal team right now that's actually going through the hundreds of companies that are in violation because, you know, software has, you know, been the main driver of a solution in transportation for the last two or three years. Yeah. And so, you know, there's literally hundreds of companies now that are potentially in violation of our patent because they're using our processes that we now have granted. Okay. Let, let's talk about the Axis token. Um, your token is considered a utility token. Um, now, this, there does appear to be a lot of confusion about what is a utility token and what is a securities token. Um, this one seems to be pretty clearly a utility token. But um, can, can you just give us a quick differentiation between a utility token and a securities token for those people who are listening don't know? Yeah, so um, what a, what our token is 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 a, is a utility token for the for the the aspect that in order to to belong to the network you have to use the token. So right. when you post your when you post your contract into the blockchain in order to have access, it's going to take a token. Now a token can be broken up into eighteen decimals, so it's not a full token one on one. Okay, sure. sure. Uh, you know, just like, you know, data sets on texting, is it doesn't consume all of your, your, you know, text in one text, it's broken out into snippets of messages equal one. So yep. same principle behind that. Yep. So then when you access the insurance verification, when the load breaches the geofence and that, that documentation is stored into the blockchain, when you access a carrier's performance metrics, you know, these are all going to be subsets of the use of the data token. So there is, because the scope and the scale, it's 800 billion in the U.S., 9 trillion globally growing to 15 trillion in the next five years, the, the ecosystem of this token uses is, you know, is going to be massive. Right. And there's tremendous value to it because, you know, data is the new gold. And yep. when you drive, you know, so what's that mean? Well, when you look at a cost perspective of a traditional load today, okay, you know, it's a fact that a company, let's say Walmart, who moves, let's say 40,000 loads a day on an average in and out of their distribution center, they have 7,000 trucks. So their trucks take from the distribution center to their local stores to make sure that products is always on the shelf. But you have all that inbound freight coming in. Okay, well, who's hauling that inbound freight? Well, it's the 97%, but those 97% can't go directly to Walmart. Well, why not? Well, because until now, they had to, every carrier had to be on the contract. They have to have insurance verification, yep. manage the load, paying them. All those labor processes made it impossible for Walmart to deal with, let's say, if they dealt with 10% of the total number of carriers, would be 70,000 companies. Sure. If you were managing that labor process, it would be impossible yep. or very intrusive. So by the byproduct of that, they're limited with a small number of core carriers that can have handle higher volume. And then the rest is sent to brokers and third-party logistics company. We did a, we did a, um, we released an article, Bob, uh, your listeners can go Google. It. it was two years ago, 2016. It was called purchase transportation. That research and development was, was that research into that article was done for three months. It was actually headed up by Clint Johnson, who was a senior um, in the innovation, senior director in the innovation department of Walmart. 
who had left at that particular time and who is a shareholder in the lane access actually did that research. And what he found was I challenged him because, you know, I told him, I said, you know, there is all these independent carriers that Walmart doesn't have on, have under contract, but they're still hauling Walmart's freight. He goes, no, it's not. I said, okay, let me give you a test. Go out to, to distribution centers right. and you go out to two of them and sit there for four hours and write the name of the trucks that come in and out there. Look at the power unit. The power unit is the side of the truck and the name of the, and what he found was, is he's come back. He goes, I can't believe it. I was like, what? He goes, well, it's all these independent guys. And I said, yeah, they're hauling Walmart's freight. They're just not getting the freight directly from Walmart. There's a guy in the middle and he's getting 15 to 30, 40% of every load because he gets it from Walmart and they're subcontracting over to the independent carriers. I said, Walmart knows it. So what he did was he went in to did a research and the purpose of the point of the article was purchase transportation. And what he found was publicly traded larger trucking companies actually reported that as purchase transportation. Right. Which means they come in and they give a dedicated rate to Walmart. Walmart thinks that the load's going on, on J.D. Hunt's truck or another large trucking company, and then they subcontract it out to the 97%. Right. And they make a margin. Well, it's a brokered load. But they reported it as purchase transportation. Massive amount of cost. It was about a billion dollars to Walmart. Wow. Okay. Um, so this is a global solution, isn't it? I mean, it can work anywhere on the planet. The same the same set of rules and issues apply? Yes, sir. So, so you – Axis makes money by having the token used pretty much every time anything moves. No, we – okay, so so Access is, is doing a token sale to raise the capital, to build the driver community and push all this out on a global scale in the blockchain. Okay. And then build the network, okay? Lane Access as a company makes money because they have a license. Right. And, and, and they, have, they have a patent, okay? And, and, and then they'll have data, Okay. The, the, the token uses is the access holders because just like any other of the, the models of, and I hate to use any names of which I won't, but any of the models that's out there in, let's say, the crypto world today, and there's value of uses of the blockchain that they're implementing, sure. and that demand has rose in that, in that token or coin or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's in, a, in effect the same thing as the demand for this network and it rises and everything else, you know, it's just a byproduct of anything else. Then the demand's going to increase because the value's there. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about building an ecosystem of a use and in one country, yes, it's the major company, which is U.S. country, which is U.S., but you're talking about potentially 100 to $150 billion dollars of cost that you're removing, that's significant. Yeah, sure is. So how much are you raising in the token sale? We're going to raise $50 million. How's it going? Well, we're, hey, we're still, we're still rowing in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, here's, here's why we're, here's why we're raising that kind of money. First off, I've been at this for a long time and I can tell you that it, it moves in a snail's pace. Yep. So we're going to physically have to put boots on the ground to get this carrier community swelled up from the inside out. 
And that's going to be a year commitment. And we've, we're going to allocate $20 million to building that community. Yeah, and it's I, going to physically take boots on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Then the other part of that is we're going to have to have all kinds of, of uh, network APIs into integration for all the various different TMS and, and ERP systems that are out there because it's got to be a seamless transition of these 350,000, you know, shipper manufacturers, you know, there, there's a lot of subsets of different systems. So we're going to have to build an extensive back end to be able to integrate seamlessly into those. So it automatically flows in and that's going to be at no cost to the shipper. Right. So building the network, building that, and then pushing this to blockchain is why our blockchain developers in the ecosystem of the token says, this is the kind of capital that we need. This gives us, you know, a two and a half year runway to build it, you know, um, and that's why we're doing that race. Yeah, but it, it doesn't seem, judging by the magnitude of the issue, um, Fifty million dollars seems like a pretty reasonable raise. So, how are you? How are you selling the tokens? You're doing dog and pony shows. You're going to every crypto conference around the planet, <laughs> vlogging your body. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, we're we're, we're doing uh, we're doing a private sale right now. Yeah. And I'm focused on more institution and NBC type of people that looking forward to an opportunity. that's looking to change this this and sees value in this. And then we'll go to the you know the so that is like you said, the road shows. Okay. Right. And then as we move through that this summer, you know, we'll start our pre-sale and we're, we have all the channels out there, which is, you know, Reddick and telegram. And, yep. and then we have a couple bounty programs that, that are kicking off. Uh, and then we'll move into the crowd sale. And then, you know, this, this summer we're going to start building, you know, we've already started with the, with the wireframes and the network piece of what we want this community to be. That'll be launched, you know, sometime this fall. Right. So are you getting investment from the, um, from the big shipping companies, big freight companies? Well, we haven't, we haven't yet, you know, and in, inside the U S it has to be obviously credited investors and the yeah, full sure. KYC and, and, and the way that goes. Um, but anybody, and, that's got know, a, but anybody that's got a whole bunch of trucks is probably a pretty accredited investor. I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought that was a. If subject. they're not, they should be. Yeah, they should way. be. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, we just started, so we, you know, we've only been out for a couple weeks. You know, we have a lot of things that that you know uh, that we're doing right now. But you know, we're at the infancy stage. But yeah, we're we've got a lot of interest. People get it. They understand. You know, a direct model's not anything new. That's happened in every other industry that's sure. out there. Yep. So this isn't a new thing. You know, um, you can take a picture check and it goes automatically in your bank account. You know, yep. you can buy your airline ticket online and, and your boarding pass comes on your phone. I mean, yep. you know, sure. these and these are regulated industries, yep. you know. Um, so banking, stock market, you know, travel, you know, they, they all have a direct model. So it's just time for you know, the largest industry to, to move that way. No, I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a great, I've, I've spoken to people before that were trying to streamline the logistics uh, industry, but a long time before blockchain and, uh, and I thought it was needed then. It's certainly needed now. Rick, we've run out of time, unfortunately. So, but thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard radio show. That you can yeah, look. and I would love the opportunity to give you an audience uh, an update as we move through the summer and, and keep you informed, and I appreciate your time, Bob, Fantastic. and your audience. Fantastic. Just let, just let me know, and 
you're welcome on any time to update people. You can learn more Thank about Rick and Lane Axis. That's L-A-N-E Axis, A-X-I-S, by going to laneaxis.com. And I'll be back. Or dot I-O. Or Bob, dot have them. Yeah, have them go to laneaxis.io, L-A-N-E-A-X-I-S.io. That's the token piece. Got it. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're coming to you on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from the shores of Sydney Harbour in Australia. There's a hell of a lot of innovation taking place in Australia. It's really a hotbed of, of innovation, but unfortunately, it's not well supported by venture capital. In fact, venture capital in Australia is almost non-existent. That's the reason that so many great Australian initiatives moved to the US for funding. I've had meetings in the past couple of days with three exceptional product projects, all of which we plan to introduce into the US in the very near future. You know, over the last 20 years, the business catch cry has been globalisation. However, globalisation seems to be failing. This world is an increasingly polarised place. Divisions are growing not just between countries, but within countries. And there are five key factors that seem to be dividing today's world into us and them. The first factor is economics. When you look at the growing division of wealth, you know, 42 people, 42 people in the world have the same wealth as the bottom 50% of the world. So 42 people have got the same wealth as nearly four billion people. And that's a a recipe for discontent and resentment. Free trade, still the best way we know to spur sustainable economic growth. It uh, led the world to economy to soar nearly 700% since 1980. Hundreds of millions of people around the world have escaped poverty, largely thanks to globalisation. But not all countries and people share in this virtuous cycle equally. Countries and specific sets of workers lose when jobs and opportunities are sent abroad for the sake of profit margins and when infrastructure spending, public school systems, healthcare and the like are tied directly to the economic fortunes of a community, it makes the inequality compounded. The second factor is society and culture. In a globalised world, people flow across borders. When workers see threats to their livelihoods and their status and entitlements, they demand barriers against cheap labour and unfamiliar or different faces. Now, Donald Trump understood this better than any of his political rivals in the US. Most politicians call for unity. Trump speaks of us versus them. They're coming over the border. They're going to wreck our society, they're going to take our jobs, etc. The third factor is security. 
cultural divides bleed into the security realm. Global trade demands geopolitical stability. Stability requires leaders who use their power to impose the compromises on which multinational progress depends. Now, we've seen just in the last few weeks how Trump is going to a isolate US stance. Um, it, it, the immigration concern and the terrorists, the people that are coming over the border are rapists and terrorists and murderers and they're not, they're just people escaping from dreadful realities. And Europe's another problem. Some European communities have really have problems with the threat posed by homegrown jihadi militants. The fourth factor is technology and filter bubbles. The internet is people gravitating to others who share their values and assumptions. Tech and media companies now grow their bottom lines by maximizing the amount of time you spend engaging with content on their platforms, and you mix with people who share your views. The result of that's even more political fragmentation, which manifests itself more profoundly in the real world each electoral cycle. The last factor is technology and automation. The uh, tech revolution's only in its infancy, and now we're seeing robots and AI, which means that up to 800 million people will lose their jobs by 2030, and that will give people more reason to be resentful and widen the chasm between us and them even further. And this is all happening at a time when the global economy is growing at a solid clip. Unfortunately, not everyone is benefiting from that. Now, I hope you join me again next Tuesday when I will be back broadcasting from my studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And that's really the place where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. Go out and get yourself some cryptocurrency and be successful because the alternative to success sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.